welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's uh, Sunday morning gathering. It's an honor to be here. If you are here today and you're still alive and you're still breathing and God woke you up, you ought to start giving God a hand praise. Maybe they put the fake applause in here right here, but you ought to give him some praise. You ought to lift your hands. You ought to celebrate that God has brought us together and brought us to this point to be able to experience a peak in our week. Amen. Um, no matter what your week was like, no matter what your frustrations were uh, this week, no matter what your shortcomings were this week, no, no, no matter what your successes are this week, God is good and God's still on the throne and you are here and you should be celebrating God right now. A to the men. Um, I want to veer away from uh, our series because of everything that's going on. And so, and not, not in racial anything, just uh, in, in the voting sphere, I think believers need to understand the importance of our political engagement. And so today I want to be able to give you a, 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 a small biblical framework. I had to, I had to, uh, <laughs> I had to be careful of building out an entire series. I, my friend Blake always said, man, your problem is you think in series. And so you got to be careful of packing a sermon series into one sermon. And so, um, and so I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm doing that today of just doing one, a one off. And then we'll be back at first Timothy next week. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13, uh, verses one through seven. Romans 13, one through seven. Let everyone submit to govern to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants. Continually, at, uh, uh, continually attending to these tasks, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe, taxes, tolls to those you own to owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Today I want to talk about in our time, God and politics, God and politics. Lord, uh, frame our time for your glory and your honor and praise and help us to get clarity on what is our relationship to government, what is our relationship to uh, uh, civic engagement, and how is it rooted in scripture, and how do we apply it in real life as an outflow of our relationship with you. Help today, Lord God, the, the, the this message to 
to settle within all of us so that we can honor you in the way we engage and interact with government. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Um, a lot of times you hear people say, I don't deal, I don't do politics. And, and they'll say, or, or they say, I don't talk to people about God or politics. And it's unfortunate because those are two important subjects. Now, I know that when we talk about God, we're talking about uh, the nature of people's disposition towards religion or spirituality uh, being a very, very personal thing. But God always views our spiritual walk with him as both private and public, um, private and public. How do I know he views it as private and public? The reason why I know it's uh, private and public, because things that you do in secret, he, he awards in the light and things you mess up in the secret, secret he exposes. Uh, in the light. Um, God is ultimately uh, going to have Jesus uh, proclaimed publicly in front of everybody as Lord. Um, everybody will have to give an account for every word that they've said. So um, it, it's, 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 both, it's both a private matter, but it's also a public matter. We can't have a false dichotomy when it comes to our relationship with God. On the other hand, politics is different because politics for many is a slang word. Whether you were, in, if you were in prison or something like that, dudes, uh, 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 you know, when, when an issue come up, they say, let's politic. So you may come from that stratosphere where dudes is looking for reciprocity and that type of thing based on, you know, politicking in order to get proper reciprocity within the prison context. On the other hand, you may uh, be a person that say, well, I don't like church politics or I don't do politics. And, and most of the time when people say I don't do politics like within the span and sphere of the church, what we're really talking about is we feel like there's too much red tape in getting something done that needs to happen fast. Or I'm not putting up with uh, kissing people in certain places on their body uh, euphemistically, uh, you know what I mean, as a way to get stuff done. That's when I talk about, when the Bible talks about politics and when we talk about politics, we're not talking about hand greasing and, and things that the Bible would be against about playing up the people in order to get favor with them, in order to get something done by uh, appeasing their ego or other things. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about politics. When we talk about politics, uh, politics is defined like this. Our actions and activities concerned with achieving and using power in a country or society. So, in other words, uh, politics is the way people use power to benefit a society, period. In, in any layer of society, that's what politics is. Politics is the use of power. Now, every level, it doesn't mean just the people in authority have power. It's also according to what kind of government you have or what kind of situation you're in, other people have power. Um, uh, and, and so the use of that power is the ability to get the attention of those it needs to get attention of in order to get something done, right? Also, Politics are the activities of government, members of lawmaking organizations, or people who try to influence the way the country is governed, the country, the town, the township, uh, uh, the county, whatever it is, how it's governed. So that's what we talk about when we talk about politics. Uh, um, uh, and, so, and so as we look at the, the, the glory of politics, one of the things that I like about Paul when he pushes us in this idea of politics, we're going to see some beautiful things about what he's talking about. But he's also going to help you and I to understand what our role is. You know, some, everybody want to be a revolutionary now. And you can march and you can do all of that. But unless you have a level of, and again, we don't put our confidence in politics. We put our confidence in God. However, we're 
we act within the framework lawfully of a political system in order to honor God in the way we interact with it because this text is going to let us know that we have to have a viable interaction with whatever type of governmental structure that we're in in order to honor God in the way we glorify him in it and impact and be held accountable for how we related to that particular system. God will hold those leaders accountable who have misused their power. Our job is not to misuse our uh, our sub-citizenship. Uh, I wish I had time to talk about that. Our sub-citizenship. We have a macro uh, citizenship that's in God and in, in Jesus Christ. We have a micro citizenship that's based on either nationality or where you are civically uh, connected to uh, 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 and located and legally connected to right on earth. And so God is about our legal connection to heaven. Politics is about our functional legal connection to earth. And God doesn't disavow us from our legal connection on earth. We'll talk about that. But he holds us responsible for that. And you'll see this text say that. One of the things I like about Paul is he frames everything in the gospel. That's why many people uh, who, who, who try to write off the Bible try to write off Paul because if they believe they can write off Paul, they can write off someone that wrote the majority of the New Testament to help us to get clarity on what God has called us to be and look like. But what's interesting in him framing this in the gospel, uh, um, 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 he, 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 he goes in the first part of the book of Romans and in the first part of the book, he, he'll, he'll give you, uh, 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 he gives you the framing of the gospel. He said in verse 15 of chapter one that he wanted to make sure, listen, that uh, he, he said, he said, I, I long to preach the gospel to you. In other words, he wanted to preach the gospel to Christians. Why would he want to preach the gospel to Christians? It's because the gospel is for non-Christians as well as Christians. It's for non-Christians for salvation, but it's for Christians for sanctification. And what it does in our sanctification is the principles of the gospel informs the entirety of our Christian life. So when you go from chapter one all the way to chapter five, that's about justification. When you go to six on, it's about sanctification. And so and so what you, you and I will begin to see is we'll begin to see what does the gospel look like fleshed out in our lives, in our sanctification. First, and what's interesting and what I love about it is he doesn't separate, and this is a good teaching moment, he doesn't separate he doesn't separate sanctification from the soul in civic matters. That's good. In other, in other words, we, we, we have a big argument in our society where people are fighting over the soul and civics. But in chapter six, he talks about the sanctification. In chapter seven, he talks about your sanctification. In, in, in chapter eight, he talks about your sanctification. Uh, uh, and then he gives an addendum in chapters uh, nine uh, 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 through, 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 about, through about the 11th chapter. Then he hits it back up and talk about your relational sanctification with other people, people that you like, people that you don't like. That's what chapter 12 is about. And then he goes into chapter 13 and begins talking about what your sanctification looks like fleshed out in the context of how you relate to government. That's why our model at Epiphany Fellowship is showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. Because there is no area of our life and world that's off limits to God wanting to see his glory permeate through that particular thing. He wants it to permeate in your sanctification. He wants it to permeate in your Bible reading. He wants it to permeate in your thinking. He wants you to permeate in your relationship with your family, your parents, your, your, your children, your cousin and them, uh, uh, um, your spouse, uh, uh, yourself. Uh, uh, uh. He wants it to be in every area of life and he also wants it to be here. 
And so I got one point. I'm out your way. Um, God and politics, number one and only point. Christians are called to engage with government as an application of the gospel. Real simple. Christians are called to engage with government as an application of the gospel. Let's look at verse 13. I mean, chapter 13. Um, it says, let everyone submit to governing authority since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. This is amazing. So one of the things that Paul is helping the Corinthians with is he's, you know, when you tell Christians one thing that seems hyper extreme, you have to give them something else, particularly younger Christians. You have to give them things that counterbalance what they would normally view as an extreme at the expense of other things that will impact their sanctification. So what he says here is he says, submit to governing authorities, right? However, when you look over at chapter 12, he said, do not be conformed to this world. So, you know, an immature Christian, a new Christian would be like, shoot, don't be conformed to this world. I'm just going to, I'm just going to wild out on the government, you know? And that was happening in Paul's day, actually. It was actually, man, forget government, defund the police. In, in other words, like, like what's, I, I may be able to get to the whole idea of defunding the police and what it would look like for there to be a level, a, a, a level of policing, a, a level of government that literally has no funding and has no structure and what that will do in society. It doesn't even make sense to defund the police. I wish people would stop doing that. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that if we get to it. But, but, but what, what, what we're supposed to do is, is we're supposed to see as committing our bodies to living sacrifice and not being conformed to the world, we can engage in government and submit to government and not be conformed to the negativity and fallenness within a governmental structure, no matter what party you're in, right? And so there's this confusion about your party is a reflection of your sanctification. No, that's not true because there are partyless governments that have existed in, in the Bible and they were hyper crazy and their affiliation was called to submit to the government when it when it's good and so and and we're and and challenge the government where we part but what here is is talking about a general commitment to submission in other words the word submit means fall into your god-ordained role falling into your god-ordained role and it's a military term that points to rank my dad was in world war ii in the korean war and he would talk a lot about ranking and what his role was within that rank. Uh, my brother-in-law um, is a is a was a major in the um, Air Force. My my uh, my other brother-in-law uh, was 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 a staff sergeant in the Marines. My my one of my older brothers was in the Navy, and my one of another one of my older brothers was was an Army Colonel. So I come from a military family, and when you talk to them, you know military change dudes. You know my brothers come back folded stuff the way they put stuff in their drawer, you know, to get up at a certain time, just a lot of order in their life. But what's interesting is they understand order in a particular way where they are able to understand what they have clarity on their rank, clarity on their role and clarity on what they're supposed to do. What submitting is that submitting is not saying, man, I wish I was out of my role. No, a, a submit means to enjoy the rank that God has given you and maximize it, uh, uh, believing that you're honoring God and it is an act of worship as you do that. 
that particular thing. That's the beauty of submission. So submission, we always throw on the on women when it comes to wife, but submission is for every believer in different contexts because everybody has a functional role under God. So when we talk about hubatasso or submission, it means fall into our role. And we're going to see in our society, meaning for America, what does, what, what does America, the American government require of its citizens? This is what we always have to ask ourselves. <clears throat> what does the American government require of its citizens that's not a violation of God's word? It's beautiful. That's all you got to ask yourself. Now, look at what it says, and we're going to come back to that because it's going to specifically flesh out some practical things later on in this passage. Now, look what he says. He says, so uh, since therefore, he says, there, since there is no authority <coughs> except from God. That's, I love that. There's no authority. And now he makes this general. You know, in our society, when we hear the word authority, we get scared, particularly among the people I love the most, the millennials and Gen Z. I love y'all. But there is a disposition and mistrust of authority. Some of it validated and some of it is just rebellious. And you have to learn that even in your life, you're going to have to exercise authority. And the way you, let me just give you something for free. The way you treat authority while you're under it is the way you're going to be treated as an authority when you get in it. And so you have to look at authority as a grace, not a curse. Authority, whether natural or spiritual, <coughs> is a grace. <clears throat> and so Paul is trying to help the Christians here to understand that even though they're under God's authority, like every, people say, well, I, I, you know, nobody can judge me but God. Yeah, well, go murder somebody and see who, who can judge you. That's not true. That's not true. The church can judge you for stuff. Do church discipline. The government can judge you for civic discipline. And God can judge you for eternal discipline. So you, there are layers to cover. So, so, so listen, you, you, God, you answer to whoever God puts you under the answer to. <coughs> and so it's very, very important that we all understand the nature and purpose of what it means for us as believers to see authority rightly. No, and, so, and so we have to begin seeing authority rightly so that we can relate to healthy authority rightly as well. And so when Paul lays this out about um, there is no authority except for God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. That's very even even the now this is this is a sovereignty issue. <laughs> even authorities that you don't like. God put them in place. You're going to vote. I'm going to vote, but whoever gets in office is who got instituted to get in office. I'm going to vote. We'll talk about that. But that person is ordained by God, we'll see later, to be put in office. <laughs> and because that's the reality, there's a relationship of respect that we should have for them. <clears throat> Even if you don't respect the current president, which many of us don't necessarily respect his character, you have to respect the position and you have to respect the role. I like the way what's interesting um, is over in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And this is why I want to be careful. It says, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, <clears throat> to slander no one and to avoid, fi avoid fighting and backbiting, 
and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. And so we, I want us as Christians, even though we don't like number 45, let's be careful how we talk about it. We can challenge. The Bible will teach us that. But we have to remember he's instituted by God. And somebody said, well, y'all brainwash. Christians is brainwash. See, that's why I'm not into Christianity, because y'all believe in submitting to it. And, and, you know, I can hear all of the all of the wokeified language out there. Right. <laughs> About people saying Christians, are, you know, Christians, you know, y'all, you know, see, that's why that Bible got you brainwashed. And that white man got you brainwashed because that white man got you thinking, listen, that you're supposed to submit to your oppressors. Right. And what's, what's interesting is every day you submit to them. If you go, listen, listen, when you, when, when you follow the law, you submitting vicariously to them. All right? So don't come in here talking about something. Well, you, you, you telling them to submit to your, what, 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 what you, what you, do, do you, do you pay your taxes? There's a lot of, all of us submit, and, and every aspect of government isn't oppressing us. So, like, we, we're not going to be fanatical conspiracy theorists on things. When government is wrong, we prophetically call them out. The reason why I'm going through all this rigmarole with y'all, because I know the type of thinking that people have when it comes to principles in the Bible that's hard to follow. Many of you, let me tell you something. The reason why passages like this and others are hard for you is because you, you're not in your word. And you and you haven't you haven't wrestled with the Bible in areas of your life where you've had to see that it said something hard that you didn't like, but you had to submit to anyway. That's tough. And when you grow as a Christian, well, one of the things we all have to do is we have to. And this is why I'm preaching on this government thing is because we have to we have to biblically inform ourselves because most of us have ideas about stuff that we have never allowed to go through the funnel of Scripture. Like we said, well, I'm just going to vote. Some of us are against Trump because it's popular. Many of you don't even know any of his policies. I ain't even going to go there yet. Many of us are against Biden because of his relationship to Obama and what the Democrats. Like we really haven't really informed ourselves on anything. We're bandwagon jumpers. And so you got to be in your Bible and you got to be socially and politically informed in order to run it through a biblical grid so that you can make decisions that's not based on cognitive dissonance. And so when we talk about this whole idea of us um, recognizing that no, even if you don't like the leader, they're instituted by God and there's a way you have to relate to them. We don't develop memes about them. We don't develop me like that's not honorable to God. Now, y'all may not like that. We don't make up negative means to take. Listen, listen, we don't. If we're reviled, we don't revile in return. That's gospel. If he talks crazy, you don't talk crazy back. Not because of him, but because of the Lord. This is this is the this is what the Bible says. And this is hard. Because when somebody go low, you want to get down there with, especially you little scrappy jokers in the congregation, right? But listen, we don't go low. Jesus said when he was reviled and reviled in turn, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's what the book says. And so he's instituted. God, what's crazy is this, this is just the first verse. The rest of this is going to make you real mad when you find out who they are in relation to God, Right? So when we talk about governing authorities, you got to recognize when it says government is instituted by God or the person being instituted by God is, is that, because it says, 
um, all authorities, uh, uh, there's no authority except God, are instituted by God. So in other words, government is God's idea. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Why is government God's idea? <clears throat> because God had eternal government. Psalm 82.1 reflects that. God has a heavenly council that he brings around. And he's sovereign, <clears throat> but he kicks around realities with the divine council in heaven. The divine order. Satan, well, how do I know God has a divine order anyway? Because Satan has a divine order. Jesus affirms that Satan has a divine order in this kingdom. Even Satan knows in order to, in order to oppose God, I have to have a government. <laughs> Some of y'all get this. That's why it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what? Principalities and powers of wickedness in the heavenly places. Why is that important? Because the devil has to get a political system in the spirit together to fight God's eternal political system. <laughs> That's why when we preach the gospel, it says that we are proclaiming it to the principalities. The gospel disrupts the devil's government. So, I can't even talk about all of this, man. But it disrupts Satan's governmental system. That's what it does. When Jesus was casting out demons, that was a disruption to the governmental system of Satan. When we plant churches, we disrupt the governmental system of Satan. When we try to transform communities, we disrupt the governmental system of Satan. When you do warfare prayer, praying over communities, praying over people, and, and, and all, that disrupts his government. <laughs> you have to know what God's workings are within your authority. I, I ain't got time for that. I, I got a little excited there. But every godly structure created by God has a counterfeit structure. You got to remember that. And so in God instituting the structure, he's, in, he's instituted, uh, allowed and it's our structure to be what it is. We're, we're a, a constitutional federal republic, which means that governors, people are appointed to represent the people and the people, are the people's interests. That's basically what it is. The people's interests and the greater interests. That's what that means. Um, voting system, one of, the, one of the few in history. Levels of government. I don't have time to go over all of this. The levels of government, <clears throat> they'll put them up on the screen. There's self-government. That's you, that's you knowing how to bear your own load. The, you're, you're an authority over yourself. Did you know that? But also, <laughs> the Bible teaches that um, so many places. Family is a level of government. Psalm 127 to 28. Community government. Matthew 22, 20, 37 through 40. Church government. First and second Timothy, pretty much. Local and national government, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, right? Eternal government, 1 Peter 2, 7, Revelation 2, 8, 22, 8, right? So there are levels of government. So every level of government in society is instituted by God. Now, specifically, we're talking about civic. <clears throat> I want you to know that you and I are a part of a matrix of political systems that are instituted by God for the benefit of man. The issue is if man misuses it, it's not God's fault and God holds them accountable for that, right? And so God, when he says he's, you know, there's no authority but God, 
you ultimately an authority exists is instituted by God. He gives micro sovereignty away. And we're going to come back to that later. Verse two, it says, and so then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. Now, um, there are certain sectors of Christianity that use resisting government as a way to say that, see, you shouldn't have, slaves shouldn't have tried to get out of slavery. They should have just submitted to the slave owners and they should have not opposed that because they're opposing God's command and God's system. Well, um, if that's the case, then why did God tell Israel to oppose, why did God tell Moses to oppose Israel? I mean, to oppose Pharaoh, if that was true, right? Right, why, why would he do that, right? And so there are times when opposition to government is fine, but here, and for the most part, um, we're called to not resist authority for no reason, like we're just not, we're just not, that's why we have to be careful with always finding fault with people in leadership and, and, and everything. We got to take things case by case and view the system. We know that the system is corrupt in the sense of the people who function in the system and the way the system works benefits a certain group of people and doesn't holistically benefit other people groups and particularly one in particular, right? And so when you look at this whole idea of resisting authority as opposing God's command, what is God's command? To submit to government, to cooperate. That's the idea of cooperate based on your role in it. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Now, <clears throat> when you look at resist authority, I want to bring this home even more. The point is that opposing them in what is right is wrong but not resisting them when authority is not breaking God's laws. So you see Pharaoh versus uh, Pharaoh, Israel versus, I mean, Moses and Israel versus Pharaoh. You see Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah against Nebuchadnezzar. You see John the Baptist against Herod. You see John and Peter against the Sanhedrin. You see Jesus versus Annas and the Sanhedrin, Pilate and Herod Antipas. Even when Jesus was going to the cross, he said things to oppose each group. So each, each, each level of government. So because they were doing something wrong to oppose God, even though it was the will of God for him to be crucified. So again, what I'm trying to help us to do is to be and have an honorable <coughs> relationship with government. We are willing and can help the government when they're honorably pushing forward an agenda that's generally good for all humans and reflects God's heart for what we believe as Christians. So what do we do? We resist the redefinition of the family. We resist abortion. We resist racial injustice and inequitable education and redlining. Other, I can mention so many things, but the issue in our justice system is most Christian interests aren't monolithically Packed into one party. <laughs> That's the problem. So, 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 so for, so, so, so again, on this side of the party, <laughs> there's certain groups that say, hey, abortion is the main issue that we should be challenging and resisting. And therefore, we want to encourage and submit to government who affirms the dignity of life in the womb. But then, 
That president during their presidency is not going to appoint a, a Supreme Court justice that'll be able to get on the Supreme Court who actually makes a decision to legislate the reality of the way abortion works in order to put it out to the different states in order for them to make their decisions in relation to that Supreme Court decision. Therefore, um, if that's not true within that presidency, what else are you voting for? Then you go over here. <laughs> And there's in, and they supposed to be the injustice, the, the racial injustice party where, where they fight against racial injustice and they use all the right vernacular and all the right words and all the right things like, like, like saying stuff, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Oh, oh wow, that's interesting. And you, you hear all of those different things and you hear that on this side and you hear all that and then black people particular, white folk just jump, white evangelicals jump over here. Black, and then some black folk because we're not monolithic and then we got a black folk, a bunch of black folk that jump over here in the, in the Democratic Party and just wholesale Democratic. And I'm like, what are the issues? What are we walking through? What are we asking for? What are we holding them accountable of? Just because they have the right rhetoric doesn't mean they have the right commitment. And so somebody's like, who do I vote for, Pastor? Let's go further in the text and talk about it a little more. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out, too, how we do this thing, right? It's not as easy as we make it. I'm going to tell you why in a second. He said, rulers are not a terror to good conduct. It's amazing, <clears throat> but to bad. This is, now, let me, let me tell you something. This passage is proverbial. Now, what do I mean proverbial? Proverbs, if you study, you know, if you study the Bible, <clears throat> proverbs are really to present ideal scenarios, Right? You know, a, a diligent person, a, a person that doesn't work goes to poverty, but the diligent will be wealthy. We know a lot of diligent people that aren't wealthy. But what, it, but what the text is saying is that as a general rule, dis, disciplined people and diligent people do better than people who don't work on anything, right? This is giving you the ideal scenario in this situation of how it should be in a healthy ideal scenario when you have right government officials in place that are promoting right government principles, right structures. That's what it's saying. It's not giving account for the fallenness of the structure within giving the principle that is supposed to reflect God. It's God's best at work being displayed in the communication of the text, although it's not giving account for the sinfulness that exists in government. Does that make sense? Right. And so, so for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. So it's basically talking about government that make good, just decisions. You know, they, 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 they challenge bad conduct. We know that within fallen government systems, they don't. But God's ideal is that they are supposed to handle bad. Do you want to be afraid of the, of the, um, uh, of the one in authority? Do you do what is good? And you will have its approval, right? So he says in verse four, he says, for it is God's servant for your good. This is crazy. Now, the, now the Greek word here for servant is diakonia. <laughs> in other words, the government, the Bible says, is God's deacon. <laughs> Now, this is a, a term for a Christian office, right? Now, let me read this. I like this. It says, servant, translate diakonos. 
uh, a word that Paul usually refers to Christians as servants and God and of the gospel. But the word in secular Greek was used to denote a secular official or various kinds. The idea that secular rulers dispense divine justice is, of course, deeply rooted in scripture, but it also is found in secular sources as well. And so we're going to take it deeper because you're going to see later what it says. It says, check this out. It says in verse says a latter part of that it said for it is for if it is for it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong right so it doesn't carry the sword in vain look at verse 5 therefore you must submit not only because of wrath but because of your conscience in other words as a believer <clears throat> you should have a disposition where you are so locked into God that what he says matters based on his command in submission particularly is the antecedent in this text in, 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 in submission to him, right? And so therefore, you, you don't want to sear your, break your conscience because uh, you, you're having inside of you the commands and commitments in the word of God and what he says and going against that can affect your life, right? Look at verse six. It says, for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to his task. This is amazing, right? Now, servant, the idea of the word for servant here is a different one. It's liturgos, where we get our word liturgy from. And what it means is servant here is interesting. It's strictly of one performing a public service in the New Testament of one who carries out the will of God as a servant. Now listen to this. It denotes people who serve the temple. This is amazing. And in, in the New Testament, the word always refers to religious service of servants of some kind. So God says here that these people are religious servants. Wow. Wow. So political leaders don't realize it. None of them realize it, good, bad, and ugly, that they're going to be held accountable because they are religious servants, whether they're saved or not, because God calls them ministers. That's why some translate this ministers, because the idea is Levitical. Is, it, it points to like the, the Levites serving the temple, if you will. And so, and so, and so this, this whole idea of, of, of them being liturgos or, 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 or temple servants means that they're not just here to serve the church. They're ultimately here to serve God's kingdom. I wish I had time, but let me explain something to you. The church is not the kingdom. It's a part of it, but it's the main agent for the kingdom. The, whether government knows it or not, the government is supposed to promote the kingdom. What is, what is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all creation. In other words, government is supposed to be an extension of God's rule on earth particularly that's why we need Christians in politics because Christians must have the theology to know that government is supposed to be an extension of God's kingdom not divorced from God's kingdom now that doesn't mean that you can force a theocratic idea of government within a, a, a you know a republic or a democratic republic or a constitutional democratic republic or, I'm not saying that but you can but you can see that many times some of what's in the democratic or republic the, the constitutional democratic republic are reflections of biblical ideas that People should just just human ideas that are connected to natural revelation, which gets us into special revelation. I wish y'all hearing me today. 
I hope y'all are hearing me today that government is supposed to view itself as a minister, a servant and an extension of God's kingdom. And the church should be separated from the state. But the church is supposed to work with the state and the state is supposed to work with the church. It's biblical. It's biblical. The, the text isn't saying separation of church and state. It's saying the church should the church should be willing to work with government where it aligns with kingdom principles. And then when the kingdom principles don't reflect government, I mean, God's government, you prophetically challenge government. That's beautiful. That's what that's what this passage is talking about. And so that means what you need to do, what I'm encouraging you to do is several things. Look at the executive orders and policies from everybody from Ronald Reagan up to Donald Trump. Look at the executive orders. Look at Obama's executive orders and his policies. Look at Clinton's policies and see the pattern of the of, of, of those different parties. And see do those patterns of each party, which one can in good conscience you vote for, listen, because it reflects an extension of God's kingdom. Now, neither one do. No, it's gonna be hard, but you gotta weigh evil against evil and good against good. It's good on both sides. And just, and listen, let me tell you this, just because you vote to the one that verbally says that they're down with your cause, doesn't mean when they get in office, they'll be practically down with your cause. So on both sides, you gotta pray. But why are you telling me this, Pastor? Why in the world are you telling me this? Listen to what verse seven says, and I'm done. This is crazy. <clears throat> It says, pay your obligations to everyone. Yeah. And it gives examples of it. It didn't give the one I'm about to mention because it didn't exist in this time. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes, tolls, respect, and honor. I would add voting. Voting is an obligation. It's an obligation because it's what the, the if, if government asks Christians to vote, we can't say we're not going to vote. I don't know if that, I, I, I don't, I, and I understand that somebody said it's a protest and I'm resisting in that way. <clears throat> but if government is asking us to vote, I think we should consider voting. And, and, and so I think it's a part of our submission to the Lord and an outworking of the gospel that we vote. That's number one. Based on, what, based on the flow of the passage, right? Based on the flow of the book, voting is an obligation that doesn't violate scripture, right? On the other hand, I vote because of my ancestors. I think, it's, I think it's sort of disrespectful to take voting lightly. When you look at the voters, the, 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 uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and you look at everything that happened in Selma, uh, the Selma, uh, uh, Selma uh, 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 to Montgomery March, and you look at what they went through in order for us to vote, why is voting important for black people in this country? Is is for, for our ancestors, for people that went before us, voting was important because it was a part of being human. See, voting was one of the ways in which America denied our humanity. And, and, and they viewed voting as a part of what it meant to be fully accepted as a citizen, a practical practitioner. Even if you look post-Reconstruction, when uh, 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 post-Reconstruction and black codes, when we were allowed to vote even back then, right? Uh, um, um, there were a lot of political offices that were filled by black people, right? And so, and again, and this is not a black sermon or anything. 
I'm just using this as an example of why voting should mean something to us because it's a part of a reflection of our humanity. I like the way um, Frederick Douglass put it. He says, slavery is not abolished until the black man has the ballot. And I think that we as believers, we need to hit the polls. And I think you vote for what's in the best of God's interests. Uh, vote, I'm not going to say, hey, vote for Trump. I'm not going to say, hey, vote for Biden. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think there are redemptive things on both sides. I do. I do. I think it's a redemptive thing. Not, I'm not talking about anybody's character on either side. I'm talking about both parties have Christian things in it that are a reflection of our principles. And I, I, I you know, I, I just think you got to choose um, who I'm voting for. I don't know. I ain't going to tell y'all anyway. <laughs> so what, I'm, what am I excited about, though? You know what excites me the most? is that government will be removed one day. Jesus, the king of kings, and will take and absorb the kingdoms of the world. I like the way it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 to 26. It says, then comes the end when, the, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, when he abolishes all rule, all authority, and power, he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. What does that mean? Is that Jesus is going to take back Yahweh's sub-sovereignty from these rulers that he's distributed for them to rule and he's going to reabsorb it and it's going to be infused in one diadem and then he's going to hand the kingdom back over to the father and then in revelation 22 we're going to see that he's going to reign whether you believe he reigns for a thousand years i tend to be i'm still a millennial dude uh, i believe in the actual millennial kingdom that he's going to rule for a thousand years put away the rest of the enemies and then god's tabernacle is going to be among men and 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 and, and that tabernacle is going to be among men and god is going to rule and he's going to reign and guess what he's going to redistribute listen sovereignty micro sovereignty to people to give them rewards for us to functionally have an eternal government that is unabolished for eternity and how did it all start it started one dark friday on Golgotha's hill when jesus christ died on the cross for our sins and he 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 was hung bled and he died and he was and and, and he was placed in a borrowed tomb but early sunday morning he got up from the grave with all power in his hand what power is that it's the power uh, to heal the power to transform the power to change and the power to government govern that's why he says the first thing he says it was a political statement he said all authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth what is that that's an eternal sovereign political statement to let you know that even though these rulers are, are, are on earth and they're doing their thing they're on a time clock and he looked at his watch and he said all authority has been given to me and in heaven and in earth and there's a time when daddy gonna tap my shoulder and I'm gonna transform this entire thing for my glory so let me just tell y'all don't y'all be putting y'all whole life into believing the government gonna really fully change anything but we do believe and we participate because God commands us to and I pray that our hearts and lives are filled with the commitment to honor God, to honor our conscience, and in ways that are possible, honor 
our functional role in committing to vote and political process. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to proclaim the word. Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would guide us, guide our country, and put in office who you've anointed to be put in office for this time. <clears throat> With all of this, we don't put our confidence fully in any human being. We like to hold people accountable. We don't put our confidence in them. But God, maybe there's someone listening under the sound of my voice that needs to get under the rule of the king. The king's name is Jesus Christ. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would touch a person that you would say, I want to place my trust in Jesus Christ. I want to place my confidence in Jesus Christ. I want to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. I want to go from disconnection to connection. And I want to trust that his death on the cross has taken me from not being connected to God to being connected with God. If that's you, I pray that you will find a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And we want to help you with that. Why don't you hit us up? Hit us up. Hit us up. They'll put it in the chat there, whichever stream you're on, whether you're on Facebook or you're on the mainstream on the page. Put it in. We want to contact you. Put your email in. We want to contact you and connect with you. Amen. Believers, you know what time it is. Um, let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. <clears throat> communion is a time to celebrate the Lord's death. The Lord's death was a commemoration of him reestablishing a new governmental rule. That's why he was crowned even on the cross with a crown of thorns, 72 thorns on his head for our sin. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body which is given to you. Let us eat together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed after that, eating of the bread, he took the cup and said, this is the blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant which shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink. Amen. God bless you. Take care. Much love. See you soon. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.